Continue our worship as Natalie comes to read the scripture today. Exodus 33, 7 through 19. Now Moses used to take the tent and pitch it outside the camp, far off from the camp, and he called it the tent of meeting. And everyone who sought the Lord would go out to the tent of meeting, which was outside the camp. Whenever Moses went out to the camp, all the people would rise up, and each would stand at his tent door and watch Moses until he had gone into the tent. When Moses entered the tent, the pillar of the cloud would descend and stand at the entrance of the tent, and the Lord would speak with Moses. And when all the people saw the pillar of the cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, all the people would rise up and worship, each at his tent door. Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face. As a man speaks to his friend, when Moses turned again into the camp, his assistant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, would not depart from the tent. Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name, and you have also found favor in my sight. Now therefore, if I have found favor in your sight, please show me now your ways that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. Consider, too, that this nation is your people. And, and he said, My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. And he said to him, If your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not you going with us so that we are distinct? I and your people from every other people from the face of the earth. And the Lord said to Moses, this very thing that you have spoken, I will do for you have found favor in my sight. And I know you by name. Moses said, please show me your glory. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. And I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you so much. Natalie, and thank you all for being with us today. It's great to have you here at River Oaks. Welcome also to those of you joining us online today. Thank you for being with us. Um, We're excited about this new year and our study on prayer. And um, I do want to call your attention to something exciting that happened at our church on this past Friday. I know some of you have been part of our uh, GPS ministry. Those 55 and older, I wasn't able to be there But um, we had a special guest appear this Friday at the church. I don't know, well, I can't say I don't know who it was. Maybe you can guess who it was when you see the picture on the screen. This is one of our pastoral staff. It's not me, I'll promise you that. It's one of our pastors, and uh, he has unique gifts. Um, You'll find him today when you exit somewhere near the resource center. But we found he could pick up on the Elvis voice and everything else. He's quite an entertainer. So all that is to say this. If you've been thinking about going to GPS 55 and you haven't been yet, I'll promise you there's, there are exciting things there for you to uh, discover. And uh, perhaps you'll meet that uh, staff member at our resource center after the service today. Well, we are talking about prayer this month in a short series called God Created Prayer. And on this weekend, when we remember the work of uh, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., I'm reminded of something he said about prayer. He said, to be a Christian without prayer is no more possible than to be alive without breathing. 
Yet for many of us, I expect that prayer is not as natural as breathing. For some of us, prayer may feel more like a duty, more like an obligation, more like a discipline that we have to master, we have to learn. It's been helpful for me to realize that much more is happening when we pray than just asking God for things and perhaps getting some of those things some of the time. I think this is true, that the greatest thing we get out of prayer is not an answer to a request, but a closer walk with God. Let me say it again. It's, it's one of those things about prayer that's been really meaningful me, for me and helpful for me to try to, to come to understand that the greatest thing we get out of prayer is not an answer to a request, but a closer walk with God, closer fellowship, uh, deeper enjoyment of our relationship with Him. And I think we'll see some of that today as we look again at the example of Moses. In his time, no one else prayed like Moses. No one else knew God as Moses knew God. No one else walked with God as Moses did. Moses was one of the greatest people of prayer in all of the Old Testament. And in the section that Natalie read for us just a moment ago, one of the truths we see is that Moses grew to know God better by spending time with God in prayer. Moses had spent 40 days with God on a mountaintop, getting instructions, laws for his people. Uh, in the section that Natalie just read, Moses was accustomed to going out to what was known as the tent of meeting. God's presence would be there, and God would meet with Moses, and Moses would speak to God, and God would speak to Moses. And through all of this time that Moses was spending in God's presence, he was growing to know God, to know the Lord better and better and better. And he, he says this in Exodus 33 and verse 13 to the Lord, if I found favor in your sight, please show me now your ways that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. Now Moses already knew God. This request comes long after Moses had uh, encountered God at a burning bush and God had revealed himself to Moses. God had sent Moses into Egypt to do mighty signs before Pharaoh and to deliver the Israelites. Through Moses, God had parted the Red Sea. God had given to Moses the Ten Commandments and laws and instructions for his people. No one knew God like Moses did. But you hear the longing of his heart. Lord, show me your ways that I may know you. He's longing to know God better, to know God more. And God answered. We see in verses 17 through 19, God says, I'll make all my goodness pass before you and proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I'll be gracious to whom I'll be gracious and show mercy in whom I'll show mercy. Through all this time with God in prayer, God is revealing more of himself to Moses. Moses is growing to, to know God better. Moses' desire to know God reminds me very much of the Apostle Paul 
in the New Testament. The Apostle Paul met the Lord in a dramatic conversion on the Damascus Road. He knew the Lord, and the Lord knew him. But years later, writing to the Philippians, Paul expresses his longing. He writes, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. Moses already knew God, but he longed to know God better. Paul already knew God, but he longed to know God better. Paul, like Moses, had this longing for a greater knowledge of the Lord, of his ways. And Paul, like Moses, spent a great deal of his time in prayer, praying for people. Moses spent much of his time praying for the Israelites. The Apostle Paul spent much of his time praying for the people in the churches as he calls all Christians to do what he says we're to be making supplication or prayer or intercession for all the saints. It's the part of life as a believer to pray for others. Both Moses and Paul were people of prayer. They spent much time praying for God's people, and the reward for them each was a closer walk with God. And I think they remind us that the greatest thing we get out of prayer is not an answer to a request, but a closer walk with God. Secondly, as we look at the example of Moses in this passage in Exodus, Moses not only grew to know God better by spending time in prayer, but Moses learned to value God's presence by the time he spent with God in prayer. Just prior to the verses you see on the screen, earlier in chapter 33 and verse 5, God had said to Moses, because the Israelites are so stubborn and so rebellious, I will not go up with you. In other words, I'll not be present among you. And Moses couldn't stand for this. And God yields to Moses' longing when he says, my presence will go with you, and I'll give you rest. Moses says to God, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. Don't even take us to the promised land. If you're not with us, I don't want to go. For how shall it be known that I've found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us? By his time spent with God, over time, Moses had learned that the greatest thing we can have in this life is God's presence with us. Now, some may think, well, yes, that was Moses. Understandably, he had God's presence with him. He was great, and he was special, and he was unique. But let me say this to you. Every single believer in Jesus Christ, everyone who has put his or her faith in him, has the promise of God's presence by the Holy Spirit. Jesus said in John 14, verses 25 and 26, rather, uh, not John 15, John 14, 25 and 26, these things I've spoken to you while I'm still with you, but the helper, Jesus called the Holy Spirit the helper with a capital H, or the comforter, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring you to your remembrance all I've said with you. In other words, the Holy Spirit's going to dwell with you and be in you, and he is the helper, he is the comforter, he will teach you all things. 
in John 16 and verse 7, Jesus said, I tell you the truth, it's to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Jesus said, when the spirit of truth, who's the Holy Spirit, the helper, the comforter, when he comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will glorify me. He'll take what is mine and show it unto you. Jesus is saying, this is the Holy Spirit. So great is the reality of the Holy Spirit dwelling within a believer that Jesus could say to his disciples, it's to your advantage that I go away. Because if I don't go away, I won't send him. But if I depart, I'll send him to you. Believers in Jesus have the Holy Spirit, the very Spirit of the living God, dwelling within us. But many Christians do not live with a conscious awareness of his presence. Now we're told in the New Testament not to grieve the Holy Spirit. We're commanded not to quench the Holy Spirit. But we do these things when we ignore the Holy Spirit when we ignore the reality of his presence within us. And this is a reality for you if you truly know Jesus as your Savior and Lord. The best way I know to develop a greater awareness of the presence of the Holy Spirit is to spend time in God's presence, in Scripture, in prayer, and in worship. Much as Moses did, much as the Apostle Paul did. Some years ago, uh, a professor at Gordon-Conwell Seminary, Dr. Richard Lovelace, wrote a book called Dynamics of Spiritual Life. And it's, it's really a classic book about theology and spiritual growth, revival, the work of the Holy Spirit in a believer. And he said this in his book, in his book. He said the typical relationship between believers and the Holy Spirit in the church today is too often like that between a husband and wife in a, in a bad marriage. They live under the same roof. The husband makes constant use of his wife's services but fails to communicate with her, recognize her presence, and celebrate the relationship. What should be done to reverse this situation? We should make a deliberate effort at the outset of every day to recognize the person of the Holy Spirit. We should continue to walk throughout the day in a relationship of communication and communion with the Spirit, mediated through our knowledge of the Word, relying on every office of the Holy Spirit mentioned in Scripture. We should look to Him as our teacher, our guide, the giver of our assurance. We should live in dependent fellowship with a person. As the scripture says, walk by the Spirit, you will not fulfill the desires of the flesh. Moses had learned that by spending time alone with God, he grew to know God better. And I think we could say to love God more. And he also grew to value God's presence, <coughs> knowing there's no greater reality for a believer than the abiding presence of the Holy Spirit with us. But something else was happening to Moses. <clears throat> Moses was changed by spending time with God in prayer.
We read these words in Exodus 34 and verse 29. When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand, and these were the two stone tablets with the laws from God written upon them. As he came down from the mountain, Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone because he'd been talking with God. He's literally changed. His face is shining. We read then in verses 34 and 35, whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he would remove the veil until he came out. Now the veil he put on his face because his face was shining so brightly the Israelites couldn't look at him. It was just just bright glowing uh, on his face from the presence of God. But when he'd go in to speak with the Lord, he'd take that veil off until he came out. And when he came out and told the people of Israel what he was commanded, the people of Israel would see the face of Moses, that the skin of Moses' face was shining. And Moses would put the veil over his face again until he went in to speak with him. If you've ever read the Gospel of Matthew in chapter 17, you know when Jesus went up on a mountain, he was transfigured and was, was so bright with shining light that the disciples were, were taken aback by this. And standing with Jesus were Moses and Elijah. That's become known as the Mount of Transfiguration because Jesus was transfigured in this very glory of God. Well, this was seen upon Moses. Moses was visibly changed, affected by the brightness of God's glory. Now, while you and I may not be visibly changed by our time in prayer, we are changed. And I think one of the least understood realities about prayer is that God actually changes us as we pray. You often hear people say, well, prayer changes things. That's true, but it's also true that prayer changes us. You may wonder why God has caused you to wait for a really long time to some answer to prayer, or why He's caused you to have to persevere through something really difficult in life when you've prayed and prayed and you've truly trusted Him and relied upon His Word and you haven't seen the change yet in your life, your child's life, your parent's life, why it's taking so long. The Bible says the testing of our faith produces perseverance. And perseverance must have its full work in order for us to be mature, lacking nothing. Something's happening when we pray, particularly when we're called to persevere and pray over time. God is, is changing us. God works His purposes in us as we pray. God changes us as we pray. Now, as we reflect on Moses' life, I'd like to simply ask the question, what does that mean for you and me? Moses grew to know God better, grew to value God's presence. He was changed by his life of prayer, visibly, physically even, by being in God's presence. I think it's true for you and me that by spending time in prayer, we grow to know God better as well. Like Moses, like Paul, through our fellowship with him, there's a longing to know him better, and God answers that longing. Secondly, by spending time in prayer, we learn to value God's presence. Moses said, if your presence does not go with me, don't even bring us up from here. 
If you long to have a greater awareness of the Holy Spirit, greater sensitivity to the Holy Spirit, that comes about as you spend time with God. People who pray much learn to walk in the Spirit, <clears throat> to become aware of His presence. And then thirdly, by spending time in prayer, we're actually changed by God. There's a really interesting passage in the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 3 where the Apostle Paul talks about what happened to Moses when his face was shining. <clears throat> and he says some things that are a bit difficult to understand, but let me read from what the Apostle Paul says here in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. What he's, what he's doing in this passage, he's contrasting the law given to Moses, the laws that God gave to the Israelites, the laws written on those stones, He's contrasting the law with the gospel of Jesus Christ, uh, what, G what Paul calls the ministry of the Spirit. And this is what he writes. Now, if the ministry of death, carved in letters on stone, came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory, which was being brought to an end, will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? For if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, the ministry of righteousness must far exceed it in glory. Those are challenging words. Let, we'll put those same words back up for a moment, if you would. We're going to continue to look at those for a moment. If you'd back up that slide, please. Um, why does Paul refer to the law as the ministry of death? That doesn't sound very good, does it? I mean, the law is good. The Apostle Paul elsewhere says the law is good. He also calls it the ministry of condemnation. Why does he call it that? He's simply calling it that because the law can save no one. In fact, the Apostle Paul himself would say no one is justified by keeping of the law because through the law comes a knowledge of sin. For example, Paul said, I wouldn't have even known what it was to covet if the law had not said, you shall not covet. The law is like a spotlight that shines into our lives and shows us our sin and our need for grace. Paul says it's like a, a schoolmaster, a school teacher to bring us to Christ. The law prepares the way for the gospel. He calls it the ministry of death because no one can gain eternal life by keeping the law. And yet in this same passage, notice he uses the phrase in the fourth line down, the ministry of the Spirit, and then he uses another term for the gospel at the bottom, the ministry of righteousness. Here he's talking about what Jesus has done. Jesus, who knew no sin and never violated the law, lived a perfect life, died on the cross and took our place. He shed his own blood and bore our law-breaking, our sin, our judgment on himself. So that through our faith in Christ, we are counted as righteous. That's why the gospel is called here the ministry of righteousness. Through faith in Christ, we are credited with the righteousness of God. Not because we're so righteous or live so righteously. But we're given the gift of righteousness. Jesus died once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous to bring us to God. And so Paul is making this contrast. Moses, even though there was glory on his face, nothing compared to the glory 
in the ministry of righteousness. Now, when we enter into the ministry of righteousness by putting faith in Jesus, we're forgiven, we're reconciled to God, we're considered righteous, something happens. The Holy Spirit is indwelling us. He's the one who regenerates us, who causes us to be born again, and he lives within the believer. In fact, the Bible says, whoever is joined to the Lord is one spirit with the Lord. He is joined to us. He indwells us. Our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And now let's see what Paul goes on to say in this passage in 2 Corinthians 3, verses 16 through 18. He continues, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. That veil Moses wore to keep the glory from blinding the Israelites. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed, that is, we're being changed, into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. What is all of that saying? It's simply saying this. Focus on the word transformation, being transformed. We're talking about being changed by God, by spending time in prayer with God. Just as Moses spent time with God and was visibly changed, so you and I, by spending time with God, because of the indwelling Holy Spirit, are likewise being changed. We're being transformed. And we're being transformed into the same image, and I believe Paul here means the image of the Lord himself, the image of God's own Son. Uh, God has predestined us to be conformed to his likeness. We're being made more like Christ. This comes about from the Lord who is the Spirit. Now, before we close this morning, I want to just talk a little bit practically about how you and I, in our personal time, our individual lives, can spend a little more time with God, experiencing His presence, experiencing the power of the Holy Spirit, letting Him work within us. You don't have to be a mature Christian to do this. You just have to have a Bible. So here, is, uh, here are some suggestions, how to wait upon God in prayer. First of all, Maybe you're not accustomed even to spending time with God uh, every day. Maybe you've never read through the Bible, but you're starting. You're, you started the new year. You're going to try to read through the Bible or at least read through the New Testament. That would be a very, very good thing to do. But here's my suggestion on how to, to wait upon God in prayer and let the Holy Spirit work more deeply in you. First of all, as you're reading the Bible, you find a verse, a verse that may particularly speak to you. Maybe it's a verse about who Jesus is. Maybe it's a verse that speaks about something the Lord calls us to do. Maybe it's a, a, a verse like the one in Philippians that says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. And you read that and you go, wow, that's one I need to think about and <clears throat> have the Lord to work in my life. Meditate. Now by meditate, I mean to ponder the words, to just take a verse or two of Scripture and slowly reflect upon the words, trusting the Holy Spirit to work in you through the words. Remember, the Holy Spirit inspired the writing of Scripture 
He's the one who changes us, and he'll use that scripture to change us. This is one of the best ways to really jumpstart your spiritual growth. Several years ago, there was a study done uh, by the Willow Creek Association. It was called Follow Me, and they studied the spiritual growth patterns of 80,000 church growers. And they examined the things that help Christians grow, Bible study, prayer, fellowship with other people, something like that. And they found one spiritual practice that stood out above the others. Um, It stood out as having more impact on a person's growth than any of the others. And they called it reflection on Scripture. I reflect on the meaning of Scripture in my life was the spiritual practice most predictive of growth. And the authors write, there's great significance in the word reflection. Reflection on scripture implies a contemplative process, thoughtful and careful deliberation. Not skimming through the Bible or a devotional. This is a powerful experience of personal meditation that catalyzes spiritual growth. Meditation, I think we can understand, is simply pondering the words of a verse or two of Scripture, slowly, word by word, with a receptive heart, trusting the Holy Spirit to work in you through those words. I found it one of the most valuable things in my life. I find when I'm stressed out, it's probably the single greatest thing I can do to kind of recover an awareness of the peace and presence of God meditation on scripture. We've got some booklets at the Resource Center today. They're free if you want. And they're called Biblical Meditation. You can pick one up today. Start by meditating. Then, as you're meditating, as you're waiting on God and His presence, ask the Lord to change you as needed in accord with that scripture. For example, you're reading the verse in Philippians that says, in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. And you slowly... Th- meditate on that and ponder that and think about that and you realize that's not usually that's not usually the way I think about others or think about myself in humility consider others more important more significant than yourselves and you pray Lord would you do this change in me would you remove from me the pride that causes me to always be thinking about myself would you help me to see others as you do Would you help me to see others as more significant than myself? We begin to pray it. Maybe you're you're reading your Bible and you come across the, the verse in Mark 11 that says, when you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone. And you go, oh boy, I've got to stop and ponder that and meditate on that. Father, there's this person I've not been able to forgive. I pray you'd help me now. Work deeply in me, Lord. Holy Spirit, help apply that scripture to my life so that I'm changed in accord with that scripture. The Bible is the greatest prayer book there is. And if we can turn our Bible reading into meditation and prayer, we will see our lives changed, I think, significantly. Include in that quiet waiting in his presence. After you pray, prayer is not just about um, talking to God. Prayer is often quiet, reflection on scripture, waiting upon God, allowing the Holy Spirit to do his work in you. 
And then finally, thank him and praise him for his work in you. Now, if you don't have a time every day, even if it's just 15 minutes, where you do this sort of thing, where you read and you reflect and you allow the Holy Spirit work to work in you, I encourage you to let that be part of your life this year. It's our hope this year that God will work at River Oaks to raise the level of prayer in our individual lives, in our households, and in our church broadly. Before closing today, I want to point you to some resources. First one is a book we have today at the the Resource Center called Praying Together by James Banks. James is a good friend. He's been to our church before, and um, this is a great basic book. You may think, I can't pray with other people. Those of you who are married, you may think, well, other than a blessing at dinner, we never really pray together. I would encourage you to pick this book up. James uh, provided our church with a large number of copies. They're very, very inexpensive. I don't think you could find them anywhere else so cheap. It's a short book, and I do recommend uh, this book by James Banks, Praying Together. There's another book that's not at the Resource Center, but I recommend. This is for those of you who are accustomed to praying. Um, it's a little, it, it, it's, it's more focused on how God works in us, changing us as we pray. It's become somewhat of a modern classic by Paul Miller called A Praying Life. And then thirdly, we have begun, as many of you know, a daily podcast Monday through Wednesday, and the Lord willing, we'll go through the whole year looking at every prayer, every reference to prayer or passage about prayer of any significance or length uh, throughout the scripture. Uh, Monday to Friday, it's four and a half minutes a day, um, and you can get the information on that in your bulletin as well. Would you join me now as we pray? Father, make us a people of prayer. Jesus, you said, quoting from the Old Testament, is not my house a house of prayer for all people? Make this place a place of prayer. Make us people of prayer. Make us people who long to know you better and love you more. Make us people who value your presence and who know and recognize and honor and reverence the presence of the Holy Spirit. And make us people who are changed by spending time in your presence. We pray these things in the holy name of Jesus. Our King and our Lord. Amen.